How many of you saw the uh, movie that came out recently called Noah? Let me see your hands. Yeah, good. I'm glad most of you didn't see it. <laughs> Save your money. <laughs> How many of you saw God's Not Dead? Yeah, good. I'm glad. I'm glad you saw that. You know, a funny thing happened at services yesterday morning. Uh, somebody up front just randomly said, God is good. And a bunch of people in the church said, all the time, which is, a, you know, a line from it. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. Well, I've had Noah on the brain a lot lately, and so I wanted to talk to you a little about him this morning, um, and of course, Jesus and his resurrection. And believe it or not, we can learn a lesson from the two of them together in Scripture, several of them. But I want to start off in uh, Genesis chapter 9. It says this, After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Altogether, Noah lived 950 years, and then he died. What did you just say, Steve? Did the Bible just say Noah lived to be 950 years old? Yeah, that's what it says. A lot of people have a problem with that. Why? Well, because it's beyond our experience. We've never seen anybody live that long before. And we have a tendency as human beings to think that if we haven't seen it, it must not exist. Can't be so. I mean, on the one hand, we don't want to be gullible. We don't want to believe in the tooth fairy and the Easter bunny. But on the other hand, there are some remarkable things that have happened. So how do we know what to believe and what not to believe? Well, for starters, it's in the Bible. Now, if you tell me something remarkable, I may not listen to you. But if it's in the Bible, but still a lot of people have a problem with it. And so there's basically four schools of thought on these long lifespans in the Bible. Let me share the four with you. And then, of course, I'll give you my perspective. The first is, Steve, you aren't supposed to take this literally. These numbers are symbolic. Okay, they represent something else. See, the problem with you is you're just too literal. They're symbolic. Symbolic of what? If the numbers are symbolic, they should represent something. Right? And if they don't represent something, then what good is the symbol? And if you can just make it up, then it doesn't mean anything if it can mean everything. So one school of thought is the numbers are symbolic. I've got a problem with that because they're symbolic for what? There's no indication in the text whatsoever that it's symbolic. It makes people feel better because then they don't have to deal with 950 years, which seems kind of extreme and weird, but it says 950 years. Symbolic just doesn't do it for me. Second perspective people take is, well, it's a fable. Doesn't really, you know, it's just a make-believe story. And of course, you know, Back in those days, they can say things like that. That's right up there with dragons. Well, I wouldn't be a pastor if I thought it was a fable. You probably wouldn't be in church this morning if you thought it was a fable. And I actually did a lot of lessons on the story of Noah demonstrated intellectually and even scientifically that the story is not a fable. Not the least of there's like 500 different fl flood stories in all these different countries all over the world. You've got fossils of whales up in the Andes Mountains. You go to the Grand Canyon. I forget the number. It's like 50%, something like Some huge number of the stones in the Great Pyramids of Egypt are made up of marine fossils. Now, have you ever seen Egypt on a map? So the flood in Noah really happened. I'm not going with the myth thing, and I'm not going with his age being the, the fable. 
So the third option, so, well, Steve, the problem is it's a translation problem. You know, the Bible was written in different languages many, many, many years ago. And over the years, you know, there might have been some different pr problems with the translation. I'm not buying it. Because Noah, the, his story was written down by Moses. Moses wrote Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And he used numbers a lot. And when it said Moses was 40 years old... Is it a symbol? Is it a myth? Is it a fable? So Moses knew how to use numbers. So if he knew how to use numbers a few pages later, why couldn't he use numbers on these pages? So it can't be a translation problem. It's not a myth, and it's not a symbol that leads us with only one conclusion. The Bible must mean exactly what it says. Noah lived to be 950 years old. People have a problem with this, but I don't. And I don't consider myself gullible. Here's the thing. If you read the whole Bible as a story, it makes sense. Here's what happened. God created paradise, put a man in there, and said, take care of the garden. Why would God make a human being who's going to die in a few years? Death is a bad thing. Everything God made was good. Something happened that brought death into the picture. You think about it, Noah could have lived forever. Adam could have lived forever. Something went south. Here's what the Bible says, Romans 5.12. By one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So if Adam and those guys could have lived forever, living to be 950, from our perspective, is a long time, but from ever perspective, it's kind of a short life. And as you read through the Bible, the lives get shorter and shorter and shorter until we pretty much get to our lifespan today. Now, right after the flood, there was a big change in lifespans. And I'll talk about that in just a couple minutes. But I want to talk to you about science also. There's a field of science called negligible senescence. Negligible means it doesn't count, doesn't matter. And senescence means aging. So here we have these scientists studying this field of things that don't really seem to age, that exist. I'm not talking about stories in the Bible. I'm talking about animals today that live for hundreds of years, but when they examine them, they don't look any older than a younger animal. They don't seem to age at all. And there's a field of study. You can look it up, Google it when you get home. Let me give you a quote from one of the websites, one of the articles on this. Rockfish, turtles, and whales, all documented to live 200 years or longer, without showing signs of aging. So some animal species can live 200 years, documented. And when they examine them, they look like they're you know, teenagers. They don't look like they're old at all. They didn't die of old age at 200. They died of a disease, a boat propeller, another animal ate them, but they didn't die of old age. Some of these animals, not only do they not show signs of aging, but they continue to grow. Now, you've all seen pictures of dinosaurs. I've got a scale model up here for you. They were really, really big. Listen, how long do you think it took them to grow that big? They must have been alive a long time. So if there are some animals today that show no sign of aging and continue to grow, the whole dinosaur thing makes sense. By the way, I believe there were dinosaurs on the ark. And I don't believe somebody ate them. 
so these, these scientists believe that in a safe environment, the animals that demonstrate negligible senescence would live forever. They have no reason to think otherwise. Very interesting. The most long-lived animal that's ever been recorded, that's been verified, proven to live a long time, was a gift by Captain James Cook to the royal family of Tonga. Not Captain James T. Kirk, <laughs> Captain James Cook. 1777, he gave a turtle as a present to the royal family in Tonga. That turtle was still alive after I was born. It was given in 1777. So basically, at the founding of our nation, and it was still alive when I was born. Steve, you look good for a 150-year-old man. <laughs> yeah, I know, thanks. That's animals. How about trees? Redwood trees? They date them at 4,000 years old. There's one. Four th 27 stories tall, because it keeps growing. 27 stories tall. That's just shy of 300 feet tall. 4,000 years old. This tree is so old that when Jesus was born, the tree was already 2,000 years old. This tree, if it was in the right place, Abraham could have sat up against it. That's how old the tree is. And it's still there in California to this day. It's amazing. But that's not the oldest tree. The oldest tree they have found is believed, it's a spruce. And it's believed to be just shy of 10,000 years old. And that's a picture of it. I don't even think the world's that old. But it just goes to show you negligible senescence is a reality. Even in our fallen world, after the curse, there are still things that live a really, really long time. So you imagine in the Garden of Eden when everything was good and perfect, up until the days of the flood, people lived a long time. So why did life cut short after the flood? I don't know. You know, there's theories about it. One of the theories I read had to do with two things. Um, have you ever heard of a hyperbaric chamber? Hyperbaric chamber, they have these in some hospitals. If you're really sick with certain things, they'll put you in this chamber and it adds pressure and oxygen. What happens with the pressure, when there's more pressure, your body absorbs oxygen better and deals with oxygen better. Um, and so things that they say are incurable are healed. People like with gangrene and shattered, destroyed limbs that have to be cut off, they get healed. Crazy things happen in hyperbaric chambers. One of the theories is that the planet Earth, before the cloud canopy busted open, the Earth was like a hyperbaric chamber. More oxygen, more pressure. And then when God sent the first floodwaters, the, the storm, everything busted open, and the, the entire environment changed. Makes sense. Don't know if that's what happened. And they also say that that cloud canopy that covered the Earth back in those days before the first flood, the big flood, um, would have kept a lot of the radiation from hitting the planet. And maybe the magnetic field around the Earth was a bit stronger then than it is now. And so all that radiation's getting through. So this guy did this experiment. He grew some tomatoes many, many feet underground so that the ultraviolet radiation and none of that stuff from the sun could get to it. And this thing like exploded in height, 30 feet tall, huge tomatoes. It's like, uh-huh. So when you take what we know with what the Bible says, it makes perfect sense. Thinking of the long lives of these people, though, is very interesting. Like, it says Adam 
lived like 930 years. So if he lived 930 years, he could have easily have known Methuselah. I've got a table up here for you. I know you can't really see it very well from there. But on the bottom or the top of the table is Adam, and on the bottom is Abraham. Let me get out my little pointer here, show you something very interesting. All right, so it says up here, we've got Adam who lived 930 years. So if I go take the end of his lifespan and go all the way down, that means all these people he could have known because they were still alive when he was alive. Methuselah. Adam could have known Methuselah. Now you notice Methuselah was like the grandfather of Noah. So Noah's dad could have known Methuselah who knew Adam. And you keep working your way down and you go to Noah here and you take that all the way down Noah could have known Terah, which was Abraham's dad. So from Abraham to Adam, there's only three generations, really, four generations, just a few guys. A lot of people, civilizations coming and going. But Adam's story of what happened in the garden could have been passed down by word of mouth to three guys before somebody wrote it down without any concerns whatsoever about accuracy. Not a problem. We don't look at it that way. So we get all confused. So Methuselah, he's the longest lived in the Bible, longest mentioned. It says he lived 969 years. So easily he could have known Noah. That's Noah. Lives 950 years. Jesus, he lives 33 years. It doesn't just seem quite right, does it? When somebody can live 969 like Methuselah, and then the Son of God comes on the planet, and he lives only 33 years. What happened? Why did he, his life get cut short? Why are our lives cut short? Romans 5.12. Just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. In fact, 1 Corinthians specifically says, in Adam all die. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, our lifespans got cut short. Theoretically, we could have lived forever. But sin is like a disease of the soul, and it also affects the body. It's like, I don't know, soul cancer. It's funny when um, people get sick and they die. We say, well, what did they die from? Sometimes, oh, they died of leukemia. Oh, they died of heart disease. They died of old age. Nobody dies of old age. People die of sin because we shouldn't have old age. You know, you're born, you grow, you're healthy, you're strong, you get to be about 30, and then you start going the other way. Why? Why is it just flip a switch and start going the other way? Sin, that disease, it kills us. So Jesus came into the world to undo what Adam did. Here's what 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says. In Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. What Adam did messed us up. What Jesus did caused us to be fixed. The potential for the solution to the Adam problem. So Jesus was at a funeral one day. In fact, he got a message. Come, Lazarus is deathly ill. Come heal him. Now Jesus, when people called him to come heal, he'd come, especially friends. This was a friend. But he waited, the Bible specifically tells us, he waited three days before he went to see Lazarus. He gets there, and his sister's crying. 
And she said, you took too long. He's dead. If you'd only gotten here sooner. And here's what Jesus says. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even if he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she says, yeah, I believe at the resurrection we're all going to rise from the dead. But then the implication is, what about now? He's dead now. See, she thought it was all over. And Jesus was trying to tell her, it ain't all over till it's all over. It may look hopeless, but I am the resurrection and the life. Sometimes in our lives today, we find a situation just, just seems hopeless. Have you ever been in a place that seemed totally hopeless, and yet somehow God got you through it? If that happened with you, can I please see your hand? Hey, look around, those of you up front. 80, 90% of the room has their hands up. It's just not always over till it's over. I've got a video clip that kind of brings this home. If we can kill the lights, take a look. Get the sound up, please. Thanks. Let's go back to November 20th, 1982. For the 85th time, Cal and Stanford are involved in a heated contest. After a wild game, Stanford, led by young John Elway, takes the lead with just four seconds left. The Stanford fans and band are already celebrating, and why shouldn't they? The game is over. One final play begins as Stanford kicks short to Cal. A mad scramble ensues. Laterals follow near tackles, then a blind over-the-shoulder lateral. A mad race to the end zone. Down goes the Stanford trombonist as the touchdown is scored. The unthinkable happens, and Cal wins. As it turns out, it wasn't over. How about this one? Meet the Lilies, Russell and Terry. It's 2001. Their 10-year marriage has been a constant source of frustration. A vicious cycle of selfishness, fighting, and isolation has left them both exhausted, angry, and done. Never mind the vows. Never mind the two young boys. This one is beyond hope. This marriage is over. Following their divorce, Russell becomes a follower of Christ, and Terry begins to notice the transformation taking place in Russell. Hardened hearts soften. The relationship begins to heal. Forgiveness is sought and granted. In 2007, they remarry. The one that became two is now one again. Then there's Raylene Kuferschmidt. It's January 2008. Ray suffers a cerebral hemorrhage. Declaring her brain dead, the doctors remove her breathing tubes. Knowing that it's over, the hospital releases Ray to her family so she can be taken home to die comfortably. Meanwhile, Ray's family plans her funeral. But someone forgot to tell Ray that it was over. At home, Ray suddenly wakes up. She's checked again by her doctors, who cannot believe that she's still alive, much less alert and healthy. Funeral plans have now turned into vacation plans for Ray and her family. Logically devoid of hope, legally divorced, literally dead. Everyone thought it was over. It's not the first time. Flashback almost 2,000 years. A man claiming to be the long-anticipated Messiah is unfairly accused. Offered up to the lying crowds by a Roman official, the supposed savior is flogged, mocked, tortured, and beaten. He is nailed to a tree and crucified. He dies and is buried. Hopes that he is the Messiah fade away. It is finished. Friends scatter, disciples hide. Evil celebrates, 
and for three days, it is over. But on the third day, there's an empty grave. Evil has lost its victory. Death has lost its sting. Suddenly, miraculously, the only thing that is now over is hopelessness. Four stories, one message. It's not over, even when it's over. So Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Lazarus was dead, but Jesus just went into the tomb and said, come out. And he got up and he came out. And he promises to do the same for us. See, Jesus died to undo death. John 3.16 makes a lot more sense with that in mind. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He sets it back to like it was in the Garden of Eden, the potential to live forever. Problem is, though, in the Garden of Eden, we not only had the potential to live forever, we also had the potential to turn our backs on God and to sin. And so the decision was made. People turned their backs on God. We sinned. Things got really bad. God sent the flood to start over. Things got really bad. Tower of Babel, things got really bad. Sodom and Gomorrah, things got really bad. Armageddon. And then Jesus will come back and start it all over again. But for those who give their life to him now, there will no longer be the potential for sin or the potential to die. It's a fresh start without the possibility of a false start. When Jesus returns... Death will again be negligible. Negligible senescence will be the order of the day. There's a verse in the scripture that says when Jesus comes back, if somebody dies at a thousand years, it's as if they died as a baby. 1 Corinthians 15. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. And then the end will come, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father. After he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Amen. We are meant to live forever. Jesus rose never to die again. And he promises to do the exact same for us. Remember what he said at his funeral. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, even though he were dead, yet shall he live. But then he said, do you believe this? See, that's the key right there, trusting in God. Just having this idea that Jesus exists isn't the thing. It's the idea that you can trust him with your eternal soul. See, in the Bible, belief isn't just you acknowledge something is so, and then you're fine. Belief is a commitment in the Bible. I don't know how to compare it with what goes on today, but uh, because we are so 
lame at making commitments. I mean, really, we, we, we live with somebody, we have children with them, and then we talk about getting married someday. And then when we get married, maybe it lasts, maybe it doesn't. We have a problem with commitment in our society. With God, belief is commitment. Commitment is belief. There's no, you know, you can't believe in something and not be totally in for it. It says in the Bible that the devils believe and tremble, but they, they're not followers of God. They know God exists, but they're not believers in our sense of the word. So when I say, do you believe? I don't mean, is there this vague concept in your mind that Jesus might arose from the dead? I mean, are you in? Have you committed to it? Are you his? Have you made the decision to follow him and to give him your heart and your life? That's the kind of belief. It's an all-in belief. I thought it was cool in that movie, uh, God's Not Dead. They um, wanted to take a trip in a car, but they didn't think the car was going to work. And so they weren't going to pack the car. And one of the pastors said, what's the point? It's not going to start. And the other pastor said, man, that's what faith is. You act as though it is going to start. That's faith. Pack the car. It's not just a concept. It's an all-in commitment. I don't know if you've made a decision yet to follow Jesus Christ. I hope what I've done for you this morning is, is at the very least make you somewhat curious, interested, and maybe pursuing Jesus. But let me ask you a question that only you can answer between you and God. Do you believe Jesus died for your sins? And do you believe he rose from the dead? And if not, why? That's not rhetorical. Contact me this week. We'll sit down and we'll talk about it. I'll tell you why I believe it. I didn't always believe it. Now I do. But if you do believe, have you committed yourself to Christ 100%? 100%, all in. And if not, why? This morning you have an opportunity to do so, and I'd encourage you to do so. If you want to follow Jesus, you might say a prayer something like this. Jesus, I do believe in you, but I've just been flirting around the edges with that belief. I haven't been all in. I haven't committed to follow you with my entire life, but I would like to do that now. Please forgive me for the things that I've done that we both know are wrong, and please help me to do right from here on out. Amen.